Welcome to Filmstrip and our American Ninja series. Ninja? What the hell are ninja? Featuring Ron. Hey! We don't stop till one of us goes down. Now! Let's go! And Jay. Who is he? I don't know. He's a new recruit. I don't even know his name. He possessed great skills. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and details of the films. And if a word of this gets out, I'll have you shot. You understand? Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Ron. This is our review of American Ninja 4, The Annihilation. Starring Michael Dudikoff, David Bradley, James Booth, Robin Still, and Dwayne Alexander. Directed by Cedric Sundstrom, released in 1990, uh, American 1991, on an unknown budget again, grossed uh, $350,000 or so in its limited, limited box office. The official end of the American Ninja series. So we get Michael Dudikoff back. What brought him back? Apparently, they moved the filming from South Africa to Lesotho while still taking uh, tax rebates from the South African government. <laughs> and because it wasn't technically being filmed in South Africa, Michael Dudikoff came back. And I imagine the paycheck helped. Yeah, I have a feeling they had to kick in a little extra for him. But where's Steve James? That's what I want to know. That's a really good question. And I kind of looked it up, uh, looked him up on IMDb and kind of poked around. Well, it looks like that... 1990, 1991 is when he was um, beginning to get sick. Oh. And he died in 1993 of pancreatic cancer. And I can imagine that that probably had a lot to do with uh, him not being on this film. Uh, Plus, he had a bunch of other flicks that came out that same year. So maybe he was actually busy. They did like a TV movie version of uh, his character from I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. (laughs) Uh, well, that explains Steve James. I didn't realize that was the same time he got sick and things. So that that would explain his his absence from this film. And I do say he's missed. I think he, there are, is a part in this film for him that is given to someone else that shouldn't be. And I'm not talking even talking about uh, David Bradley's part. I'm talking about you know one of the the other henchmen. But at any rate. We do get David Bradley back, and we get Michael Dudikoff. So it's like I, I love the the cover of the thing is it's both American Ninja, you know, together, right? It's we put the whole. It's like if they got David Lee Roth, or when they got David Lee Roth and Sammy Hagar to tour together for Van Halen, right? Oh, it's it's clearly best of both worlds. The the <laughs> the Ninja movie. Yes, so <clears throat> that's a great Van Halen riff, by the way. So. <laughs> Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us what American Ninja 4, The Annihilation, is about. Or just tell us who's trying to make a group of super ninjas this time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. In classic canon fashion, we open up with some running and shooting as a group of Delta Force commandos are on the run from, you guessed it, ninjas. Hold, hold on a minute. Guys with guns are on the run from ninjas. From guys with medieval weaponry, yes. Yes, let's just lay that out there, but go ahead. So. Meanwhile, Sean, a.k.a. David Bradley, is now a member of the CIA, and he clearly inspired by the um, uh, Steven Seagal story, where he yeah. goes from a karate champion to a CIA agent. Yeah. And he's also the best man at his partner, Braxton. That's the good old Dwayne Alexander's wedding. Because this is a movie, and no wedding, makeout session, or important family meal goes uninterrupted, they get the call. <laughs> They're off to the jungles to track down Mulgrew, played by James Booth. 
an ex-British secret agent who hates the British, hates Americans more, is a notorious sadist, and who is working with an Arab terrorist named Maksud, <laughs> Ron Smurzak, who doesn't sound very Arab or look very Arab, uh, to develop a suitcase nuke with enough power to take out New York City. There are also ninjas, because of course there are. The Delta Force guys are also being held for ransom, but Sean the American Ninja and Braxton, the nerdy son of Steve James and the wormy dude from American Ninja 3, are there to stop them with a little help from a busty Peace Corps, a busty Peace Corps nurse named Sarah, played by Robin Still. When that mission goes sideways, because of course it doesn't work, uh, only one Peace Corps volunteer worth. There's only one Peace Corps volunteer worth calling, and that's the original American Ninja, Joe Armstrong. <laughs> Joe and Sean have to work together to stop the Japanese Red Faction Army, a.k.a. the Ninjas, and Mulgrew, with a little help from the former political prisoners at Sulphur Springs, which is this great fake barter town. (laughs) Yes, that is the most amazing plot summary I think we've gotten this time around. So this time the stakes are bigger. It's a nuke. It's not. It's not going to be super ninjas. It's not just a virus that may or may not work. It's. It's not a, a, a tournament put up as a sham. Nope. It's a nuclear weapon because nothing was scarier in the '80s than nuclear weapons, right? Like we're going to play on the worst fears of the Reagan '80s now. Oh, clearly, yeah. Even though it's you know the early '90s at this point, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, suitcase nukes are still a big thing. And if you've played, uh, oh, which one of the Civilization games is it? Anywhere, there's a, there's a Civ game where the spy with a suitcase nuke is your ultimate weapon. And clearly this is Suitcase Nuke the movie. Yes. <laughs> I, uh, suitcase Nuke the movie. They should have just called it American Ninjas in a Suitcase. Because it kind of <laughs> feels like that's what was going on. For most of this thing. So we open up with Sean is now in the CIA. He's got the same haircut as last time, but he's in the CIA and his brand new best friend, Carl, the sidekick, reminded me of Clarence Gilliard Jr. If you remember him at all from Matlock fame and Walker, Texas Ranger. And he was also oh, the yeah. the computer guy in the first Die Hard movie. He's been in a lot of stuff. He was in, he's in Top Gun too, by the way. But anyway... Really? Yep, he was uh, he was the call sign Sundown, uh, the guy that gets stuck with Maverick after Goose dies, and is like, man, we could have had him, you know that guy. So oh, okay, <laughs> I've seen yeah. that film entirely too many times. But he's getting married when they get the call, and I wrote in my notes, this reminds me a lot of Navy Seals, and I looked it up. Navy Seals came out the same year as this, three months after this, and I'm not certain that someone from Golden Globus didn't have a copy of that script. <laughs> when, when they were making this film, because it's not the only time I feel like we're doing a callback to another film of the same year. Like they're they're copying stuff before it even comes out. Now they're the asylum of the '90s. <laughs> they're they're clearly they're clearly yeah. on the cusp of every blockbuster, or and but they're getting there first. They're yeah. the uh, straight to video mockbuster version of Navy SEALs, or <laughs> you know, take your pick. Exactly, but you know that won't be the only time that that gets into this as it goes. And I looked up the writer, uh, someone named David Jeeves. This is the only thing he's ever written, so I'm just going to go ahead and say now that's a that's a made up name for about the twelve people that it took to write this. Um, but I will say that whatever they were on or <laughs> whatever they were fed was better than the group that wrote the last film by far. That I from the top, 
this is a better movie than American Ninja 3. Yeah, that's uh, putting it mildly. Uh, I never would have thought that uh, uh, you, you could say you could make that kind of argument, but this movie is greatly improved by both uh, Michael Dudikoff and David Bradley's presence. Yes, and, and I'll say this: somewhere between that last movie and this one, someone figured out that David Bradley is actually kind of funny <laughs> when you give him sort of deadpan lines to do. He didn't get any of that last time. That seemed to be all Jackson's role. And mm-hmm. now he gets to do all of that. And he's actually pretty good at it. Like, last time I thought, like, his dialogue was just atrocious. This time it's actually, I don't know, it kind of makes sense, dare I say that. Yeah, that's um, kind of surprising, but it's <laughs> it's actually really true. I didn't, I never would have guessed that David Bradley had a sense of humor, but, I mean, here we are. He's making jokes and... He's showing some signs of uncharacteristic signs of life. Yeah. I mean, he's clearly still a wooden zombie that can do ninja moves, but from time to time, he can be kind of funny. And and I, I thought it was neat that they played on his sense of humor this time rather than just choke him up and make him you know, doing strange hand gestures and, and stuff like that. Like, at least they gave him stuff to do that... Uh, that he wasn't allowed to do the last time. And this, the story's bigger, too, because the thing is, like, they bring him and his buddy in from the wedding, which, by the way, I, you know, you're married, I, I'm married. Weddings are, you know, kind of stressful things anyway. If the groom bugs out of a wedding, he's pretty much going to get shot in the parking lot by the, by the in-laws, right? Like, that's, that's never going to be allowed to go down. Oh, clearly, yeah. And it's not just that he bugged out. Like, he was there ready to say his I do's. And then he just up and leaves. So, Rot, you're married. I'm married. Like, grooms that bail on the wedding don't don't make it out of the parking lot before they're shot by their, you know, not father-in-laws, right? Like, that. Like all he does is go, honey, see you later, and, and runs out. Like, he didn't even say, just do a quick, you know, I do, I do, and then we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wasn't. It wasn't like he, you know, hadn't walked down the aisle. I mean, he was there waiting, like, for the DUs, and then yeah. he just gets like, oh, uh, pager went off gotta go you know cia the pager the cia pager that was such a callback to a different time right you remember pagers i do the the, the one i had was like a garage door opener (laughs) and and was about as loud and so uh i don't know i I thought that was fun but i love how they get back to cia headquarters and they're still in their wedding gear they didn't get time to change clothes and they're getting the debriefing from the suit um to uh, of what's going on yeah, it looks like they just they hopped into the uh, like the you know just married car and took off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> left the poor woman there, and and do we ever get back to her? By the way, like this film ends and we never go back to the wedding. Oh, I believe she's completely forgotten. Yeah, and that's amazing because uh, Carl, the sidekick here, is actually allowed to live in this film because I thought that marked him for death immediately. I was like, well, clearly he's going to die because we must heartbreak this poor woman again. Oh yeah. He's got to die because he's a good uh, intelligence operator, but he's not a field agent. He's clearly not ninja quality. Yeah. Uh, You know, David Bradley or or Sean makes it clear that uh, this guy's nothing but a soon to die albatross. Yeah, but uh, he inexplicably lives. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed at the number of people that do make it out of this film. We'll we'll talk about that as we go. But yeah, he's one of the ones that lives. So through this, but uh, please explain to me again the the evil or evil's plot this time. You summed it up real well in the plot summary, but I'm still not really sure what evil's plan was besides the suitcase nuke. 
I think that was the big thing. Uh, the suitcase nuke and um, Mulgrew was training these assassins in some kind of old British fort that had been abandoned. And there were also the Japanese Red Faction Army, the best ninjas in Japan, I guess. Who broke away from all the prosperity of Japan in the 80s to go and be ninjas for hire? I, I guess they didn't want to be salary men. I don't know. <laughs> I guess. I, you know, it's it's not for everybody. So. Oh, and, and also, I forgot this. He's also ransoming the uh, remaining members of uh, the Delta Force that didn't die to the bows and arrows. Yes, yeah. There are members of the Delta Force that are still alive. Along with the Chuck Norris knockoff, that's that's their leader sitting there, and th- they're tied up to some poles in like you know your high school basement is what it looks like. Yeah, it's like they, they rented a gym and that was you know it was a slash gym slash worship center at like a camp or something, <laughs> and the basement of it is where they're tied up, and they show pictures of them, <laughs> and you know we must we're gonna let our we're not gonna let our four commandos go, you know that's. That's the whole bit. So they're at this old British fort in the to be forenamed. Uh, where's this country again? Uh, they don't even bother to name the country this time. It's <laughs> I, just I thought I'd miss that <laughs> mysterious island land. Yeah, I they, I mean like not even a fake island name like that that bothers me because they're doing so many other things right and they're getting this totally wrong. <laughs> well, I think maybe by now they figured out it doesn't matter what they call it we're all gonna recognize it as like <laughs> South Africa anyway. Right, this is true. I think at that point people knew it were were uh, the Schwinden, uh, the uh, versimilitude uh, of this is is low, right? Like we're not really gonna go with it, so nobody cares. So don't even say it, right? Like yeah, that's, there's that's a, there's no point in, in giving this. Play as a name. All yeah. we need to know is it has a Casablanca bar and yes, and 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 again a worship center um, slash gymnasium that is part of a third world country or something like that's what that's what it looks like. So, but I love how in in the midst of this, Sean tries to talk his superiors out of this. Like sidekick Carl is not ready for this. You're gonna you need to go get me Joe Armstrong. And I love how they lay out Joe Armstrong's arc here. He's a peace-loving hippie is what they call him, but he's really just a Peace Corps teacher, right? Yeah, he's teaching English to kids who apparently already know English. Yeah. (laughs) (coughs) Which, you know, in what I do, I've I've never been on the Peace Corps, but I've had a lot of colleagues that have done Peace Corps work. I've seen a lot of students at the college go and do the Peace Corps. I've heard the story. Like, I know what it's like. Once they get them to that point, it's time to move on. <laughs> that, that's what they do. <laughs> right. There's other people that want to learn, so they move them somewhere else. Um, I don't know many ex uh, ninja special forces folks that would do this, but I, you know what I felt like this was was the plot of Rambo Three. If you've ever seen that, where Rambo yes. is like part of a convent or something. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. It's like the Rambo, uh, the uh, no, I'm retired <laughs> yeah. kind of plot and. The operator, uh, the David Bradley's contact leader, or whatever, is like Colonel Troutman, uh, but he looks like Robert Stack. Yes, he does. <laughs> you got Robert Stack trying to convince uh, Rambo to come be a part of the fight. That's really what the big part of the plot is here. Yeah, pretty much. That's uh, yeah. He's the the uh, Richard Crenna. <laughs> Of the whole thing. So I love how Sean and his non-field trained sidekick parachute near the fort. 
Carl knows how to parachute out of perfectly good airplanes. That, to me, says, well, he's actually not that useless. If he could do that, because I know people that do that for a living, man, and that is not, you just don't pick that up. Like that, That's not just, you know, being lucky with a gun. Like, you've got to learn how to do that. Yeah, that's uh, that definitely takes some skill, even if you are just, you know, stock footage, a stock footage skydiver with your face conveniently covered. <laughs> Of course, because, you know, we, we're going to put on the mask before we jump because it's such a high jump. It's, it's the oxygen, right? Oh, it's right, also sure. so they can talk the whole way down, which is amazing. So, yeah, because <laughs> you definitely just don't hear horrible whooshing sounds. No, and and think I'm hurling to the to the earth at incredible speeds. But, but you know, they, they parachute in. That's the whole point. And we find that the local police chief is going to be support to them. Does he ever really do anything that's remotely useful in this film besides getting uh, away? No, <laughs> he just he's there. And um, that's pretty much his whole. Yeah, his whole thing is he just gets in the way, I think. Yeah, like if he had moonlighted as one of the rebels from Sulphur Springs, or that was like his brother or something, that would have made more sense. But or if he, he'd been like con- able to connect them to the Sulphur Springs rebel and and completely cut the fake short round out of the movie. Oh, fake! Yeah, let's go ahead and talk about fake short round, at, which is the second time we've had a fake short round in this film series. They obviously looked back and said, "Okay, look, part three was a disaster, y'all. Besides Dave, David Bradley here, what, what else we got to have?" Well, in the second one, we had that kid, right? Everybody seemed to kind of like that kid, so let's get another kid for Michael Dudikoff to kind of take under his wing at some point and give random trophy objects to at the end of the film. Yeah, in, in my imagination, that was the same kid from American Ninja Two, just <laughs> slightly more grown up, and and that Michael Dudikoff or uh, Joe Armstrong had completely forgotten who he was. Possibly yeah. due to you know some kind of skull trauma. Yeah, <laughs> and and uh, fake short rounds just sitting there like he knows me. We already <laughs> did this once. He should say you know hello, but he never does. No, he doesn't. But this guy like picks two different people up from the airport, and he can't drive, <laughs> and he's just terrible in almost every way. Like I don't I don't get. Um, well, no, I get what his part is it, clearly in this. He's the fake short round, but he never—he's never in enough peril for him to, you know, be saved so much. He's just kind of there, right? Like he's just sort of the commando gopher. Yeah, he's not in—he's never in any serious peril, and he's never really that important. He's just kind of like you know, window dressing. Yeah. It's like, well, we got to have a little foreign friend who, who Braxton can, or uh, Carl can argue about movies with. Yes, because so that, that is so necessary to this film. Oh, gosh. Yeah, don't don't make me think of much better movies than the movie where I'm watching. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Yeah, that's that's one of the flaws of this film. And the other one is the fact that it's an hour and 40 minutes long. That. If if there were a film in the series that did not need to be bloated by the runtime, it might be this one. <laughs> like, especially after that last time where every second of the 90 minutes was, was painful. I don't know that you want to keep people around for 10 extra. No, and it, d- definitely not. And it's not like it was a... And if you had cut that 10 extra or, you know, 15, I think you've still got a pretty good movie. I think it, it would play a lot better than it does because... There's clearly some interesting stuff going on, or, you know, at least entertaining stuff. Not interesting or intelligent in any way, but 
yeah, it's it. There's there's not enough. Uh, well, there's plenty to go on here. There's plenty decent enough of an idea for what this movie is. It didn't need to be long too, and it certainly didn't need to have a fake sidekick with the other sidekick cracking wise. Because I've already decided this that one sidekick was going to die, and they didn't do that right. So now the fact that they leave him around the whole time to talk talk smack about films with. You know, some random kid. Which, by the way, how would that kid have ever seen any of those films? <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe it's like how you could go to Nigeria and find old episodes of Doctor Who that, <laughs> that were sent out in kinescope or whatever. I guess so. I, there must be some kind of great distribution, foreign distribution. But maybe going, maybe the Canning Group is is trying to say, look, we got incredible distribution, y'all, <laughs> to anybody that's expoing this film. Yeah, let us have your your third man and your Casablancas and your yeah. Just let us give give us the Caribbean distribution rights to all your classic movies. Yes, it, it'll be it'll be huge for you. It'll pay off major in Belgium, but <laughs> but that's that's how it goes. And so they start getting stuff from local folks, and they get pursued by the cops. And while escaping, they come up with the the Peace Corps nurse, right? That they call doctor, but she's not a doctor. Sarah, Robin Still. Yes. Yes, 80s scream queen herself. So, as it turns out, uh, I had actually seen her in other stuff. That was the the amazing thing. I've seen the Slumber Party Massacre because um, yep. <laughs> every 80s slasher fan is must have seen that at some point. And I know about her tragic end too, which is always the, the sad part of the story. But I, that's what I knew her from. I was like, yes. And I know she had done some other stuff too. So when I saw her pop up, I was like, oh yeah, it's it's the chick from the you know one of those knockoff 80s slasher films, and she pretty well plays the same role here, right? Right. Oh, um, can we go back a second and, mm-hmm. and talk about the, what happens before that, the fight at the Sleazy Nightclub? Oh, please, The fake yes. Casablanca Nightclub? Yes. yes, please do. Well, the first thing I could think of uh, as I was watching that with the bartender being the contact, and, well, obviously the parallels to Casablanca because he's clearly running a Rick's uh, kind of establishment mm-hmm. in this random third world country, aiding, secretly aiding like the Allies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the thing is, the bar fight scene... Um, with David Bradley, it makes me think of uh, Steven Seagal um, in Out for Justice. <laughs> like it's like the Out for Justice uh, bar fight scene where Nico goes in and starts bashing dudes with pool balls and stuff. Yes. Just not quite that extreme. <laughs> Plus, you've got David Bradley who's wearing a leather jacket in what is clearly a tropical climate, <laughs> um, just like Seagal trying to hide his gut in, in a in a leather coat. Yeah. I don't even know that Bradley was trying to hide the gut at all. It's just he's trying to look ultra cool. Or whoever's whoever's dressing him is trying to do that. I think that was a deliberate nod to, like, Out for Justice. Because clearly (laughs) David Bradley's in better shape than Steven Seagal has ever been in in his life. (laughs) Right. He also kind of looks like a knockoff Steven Seagal, you know, from a certain angle. So I can see that, yeah. With With the hair? Yes, the hair. It's the hair more than anything. But, yeah. And the tan skin. But, yeah, it that. Uh, you know what I thought of? and You were thinking Casablanca. Uh, I was thinking of that uh, flashback in, I don't know if it's Airplane or Airplane 2, where Robert Hayes does the Saturday Night Fever dance for for Julie Aggerty. It kind of reminded be, me of that bar. That would be, uh, that's Airplane, I think. <laughs> okay. yeah, that's the first Airplane. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, that's what I immediately thought of. So, um, sadly, like, uh, I didn't get to Humphrey Bogart. Or like, uh, more like uh, Overdrawn at the Memory Bank. <laughs> There you go. (laughs) 
I really think the whole purpose he was there, the whole the whole reason behind fake Casablanca was to have the evil colonel come in with his flunkies and and shoot the guy in the head, yeah, and get weirdly molesty with the uh, short round. Very weirdly molesty with short round. Did I tell you how odd that was to see? It that, was that didn't need to be in this film. <laughs> it was seriously unnerving. Like it was like somebody spliced in footage from like the McMartin trial or something. Yeah. There's that moment. And then later on they, and we already talked about the, the hot nurse. We'll come back to her. Like they try to get molesty with her too. And I'm like, there's, there's an undertone to this film that doesn't need to be here. Like this is nasty that you don't have to do this. We already know you're the bad guy. You don't have to also be that. That, that felt like it was trying to be so weird. Go ahead. It was weird because that's literally the first kind of exploitative action in the, the whole series. Yeah. He gets uh, uh, Sarah and she's tied up and he rips her shirt open so we can see her in a bra. Mm-hmm. And he's like slapping her so her like boobs are jiggling around or whatever. And it's it's like something that should have been in a – that was come, came from a completely different movie that just kind of got grafted into the American Ninja uh, and I'm not sure, like, what the whole point of it was, because uh, clearly there was no. It was not necessary. I mean, molesting short round is 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 bad enough. You don't need this extra uh, titillation, I guess you could say. Uh, sorry about the, that. <laughs> well, no, I'm following you. I, here's what I think they're trying to do. I think they're trying to be edgy. And trying to be hardcore, like, yeah, we're, we're the same goofy action series, but we're going to be serious this time. This is a nuclear weapon, and we're going to almost molest, you know, not short round, and we're going to make rip this nurse's shirt open. We're going to show you how bad a dudes we really are, because look, at this point, in action films, the game had been stepped up by 1990, 1991. It, you know, your bad guys just couldn't be these cardboard gutouts anymore. They had to be evil in multiple levels. But for me, that just totally betrays the sort of, I don't know, semi-innocence this series has. Like, the, the, the cartoonishness. Yeah, like it was like if G.I. Joe decided all of a sudden to you know, be that special episode of Different Strokes. Or something. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, we're, that's the wrong kind of chocolate and peanut butter being mixed together here, guys. So. Yeah, and that's the that was the, uh, the, the slapping shirtless scene was the Second reference to um, that actress's breasts, because yes. David Bradley has a throwaway line when they're like running. He says something like, "You're not built for running, are you?" Because she's like just jiggling around. <laughs> well, it's kind of like I, I sort of felt like for her the way they dressed her, the way they did poor Carrie Fisher in that first Star Wars movie. You know, there's no there's no underwear in space, so <laughs> you know, don't make don't make any sudden movements. So <laughs> right, clearly. <laughs> but that's the other thing we've got here. You know, the first girl in the the first movie, the colonel's daughter or whatever, mm-hmm. I mean, they exploited the heck out of her, though, early on, because she starts undressing Romance in the Stone style with Joe in the jungle. But it's all hidden by, like, leaves and stuff, and they and it, they make out a little bit, but it's almost high schoolish compared it's, to it's this. PG. It's PG. Yes. It doesn't have that uh, undertone of sleaze that this has. This is like... Yes. It's like they took an American Ninja movie and felt like they had to scrape a little layer of grime onto it to make it fit the what people what they thought people wanted in the home video market in 1991, which was, you know, 
pederasty and soft, soft core porn. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm wondering if like people that worked on this uh, it went on to work on that show Silk Stalkings, if you remember that. It was, uh, just, it was like the Law and Order if everybody you know would, got cleavagey all of a sudden. <laughs> oh yeah, the shirtless Law and Order. I definitely remember Silk Stalkings. So yeah, that it, it's that same kind of vibe, but unlike. You know this movie that it works there because that's the whole feel of it. I mean, the police station is neon for good sakes in that show. This it it doesn't fit the series motif at all. Like it, it really and and I'll say I don't think it really fits David Bradley or Michael Dudikoff. They're a little bit the kind of guys that would be in that stuff. You know? Yeah. Neither David Bradley doesn't look really comfortable with that line. No, it's like he sort of spits it out and is like, "I'm very sorry, Robin. They made me say it." <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, say what you want to about his acting ability. He seems like a very nice man, Mm -hmm. and he doesn't seem like the kind of guy who would go in for that kind of stuff. He's not Don the Dragon Wilson. Yeah, he's not... not He's not a sexist pig. Like, if anybody was before, it was Curtis, right? Like, he was the one that was all sweetheart, darling, and dear to the, the ladies and the ninjets and all that stuff. This guy's not that way at all, and we know Joe's not, you know, for goodness sakes. So no, Joe's like a completely – he's a Boy Scout. Yeah, well, I mean, he's like a monk more than anything. I mean, <laughs> he really is. So he's asexual, if anything. It's like that colonel's daughter was sort of it for him, and then she broke his heart, and then that's, you know, that's it. Like, I needed a line about her, too, that, like, she just couldn't handle the Peace Corps, you know, or whatever. But <laughs> I guess they weren't going to call back that many. They figured there was nobody around from the first one that was still well, paying d- that much attention. Well, you don't have to explain <laughs> it away like a Speed 2 situation. Yeah, yeah, this is true. It, it could it could have been worse. So. But I, I don't know. I, I like the nearby jungle and the ninja army that attacks, right, and how they get identified, right? That, but Sean and Carl actually do something that I think is cool. They start picking up. It's it's like a contra game again. They start picking up random weapons and just taking out everybody. It's guns, nunchucks, doesn't matter what it is. They're going to use whatever they got to wade through this group of guys. Yeah, that was uh, that's one of the uh, the hallmarks is they use a lot of the ninja weapons and they make a good point. I actually really like that because it. It was a more reasonable uh, course of action, I guess, than to just fight these guys barehanded. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you know you're going to be killing these ninjas and taking, you may as well take their weapons because they're there. I mean, and you know these other ninjas aren't going to drop their swords and come at you barehanded. Exactly. Why not take everything you've got, you know, and and fight right through them, right? But even in spite of all that, they get, still get captured, you know. Right. Oh, um, did you notice that he did the? Uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme splits. Yes. I, well, man, I, I was like, wow. I, I was surprised we hadn't seen that creep into this series at some point, or maybe they just didn't realize Bradley could do it. I don't think Dudikoff could do it, but, but <laughs> Bradley worked that. You could tell that was the thing he worked on between the last movie and this one besides his tan. Oh was, yeah. They, yeah. they gave him six months to learn how to do that. And he, he spent all day like at the yoga studio Yes, working that little little pose out. So, you think somewhere Jean Claude got wind of this and was like, "I knew it." <laughs> you know? so, I, I have no doubt. Yeah. I have no doubt because that seems completely in character for him. Yes, <laughs> and I also like that he had the uh, random fishing line, or the it was almost like the James Bond like watch filament. Yeah. Uh, that he used to like garrot that ninja, and then he jumped out of the tree to punch that one guy. And the whole, to me, the whole selling point of that entire ninja fight was how 
he's just in the background. Kill, he's just in the foreground killing all these ninjas. And in the background, you see all these other ninjas that are like creeping in the wrong direction, looking away from him because yeah. it, it, it's like they don't hear the loud foleying of these other guys dying. <laughs> yeah. And now, then eventually- <laughs> or it's like the code of ninjas is so strong. Like, well, we can only really fight him one at a time. and they don't even bother to turn around and look at the fight (laughs) until it's their turn this is true and maybe that's because on set they were missing each other so bad that it didn't sound like anything was happening I don't know but uh, (laughs) yeah again uh, Cedric Sunstorm not a good director of the background action Um, at least this time it's a remote place so there's not like random bystanders hanging out not paying attention to what's going on and, and you know maybe he was killing them really quietly until the uh, the sound team got a hold of the film, yeah, and amped up the noise. <laughs> yeah, some somewhere he wasn't in the editing room when that was going down. But uh, who who knows at this point? I they probably spent thirty days shooting this and about seven minutes cutting it together. So because <laughs> it's a, it's it sort of just flows. It's I'm not sure it was shot in in uh, sequence, but it might as well have been. So yeah, it, it does come across that way. It, it it the one thing you could say about it is it doesn't drag like uh, American Ninja Three did. It, oh, very true. So it for, definitely moves a whole lot faster. Yeah, to, to, to be you know, to be eleven minutes longer, really, it does it does at least get somewhere because there's good action. That's the thing. There's good action hanging around this this whole time, and that's what I really liked about it was that the action was was fun again. It didn't look ridiculous like last time. It, at least they were having some fun with. And of course, they're getting you know tortured in in uh, the fort by the ninja master and Mulgrew. And meanwhile, Joe Armstrong is finally lured out of retirement, right, to go and and help the cause here. And how do how do you like the way that uh, fake uh, um, Troutman finally gets him uh, gets him on board? That was that was pretty fun. Um... I can only imagine it lends some kind of credence to your theory that Joe and Sean were the two kids and then uh, yeah, watching the cold opening of American Ninja 3 yeah. uh, and how they're apparently supposed to be good friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also like that Joe kind of dressed like a Land's End catalog. <laughs> this is true. He does. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I don't know. Wherever he was doing Peace Corps looked an awful lot like Colorado. And, uh, and, um, and so I was like, man, I don't know that I'd leave that either. That looks like a pretty good gig compared to the other places you've been. Yeah, I mean, he's teaching English to people who clearly know English. Yeah. Uh, they're, he's able to just send them away for no good reason. <laughs> yeah, go and draw the world or whatever it was he yeah, said go, to do. Go make observations. <laughs> uh, rummage around in this third world hellhole, you know. <laughs> and find beauty. <laughs> so, Try not so. to get typhus. <laughs> <laughs> Again, though, it's like if Rambo had taken that up too. It's it's you know how out of place he would be for that. So uh, it's, it's, it's it yeah. is kind of like uh, Rambo, the newest Rambo, where he's like the uh, uh, fishing boat captain or whatever. It is oh yeah, doing. yeah, he's the boat captain for the church missionaries. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very strange. So uh, well, you know, uh, I I just needed Joe to have a line something like you know when you're pushed hard enough, ninjas as easy as breathing. <laughs> and then it would have been perfect, but he, but he gives that look though, like he has that go off in his head and decides that he's going to go into the to the fray, and he's sent to help Carl and Sean. Meanwhile, we talked about the attempted sexual assault of Sarah, right? 
yeah. then then we get the little payoff that like I'm the one that killed your father, and I'm like, well, they're gonna call back to that idea again. Like, do we even need that motivation in here? Because the guy's already bad. Now he's triple bad. Right. Uh, well, it's just you know. I guess that they needed to check off the cliche list, and that was one they hadn't uh, marked off yet. I, I have a feeling somewhere in the midst of it, somebody was like, this is going to be the guy that killed Sean's father. And then somebody said, wait a minute, we already shot that dude the last time. Oh, really? You think he's going to notice that? Yeah, probably so. Okay, it's the nurse's dad then. So, well, yeah, the, uh, why do we care about her? Who's she? It doesn't matter. It's somebody's dad. Peace Corps. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> That's our connection to Joe. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all it's all about it's all it's all rhyme. You know, it's 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 right there. It's, <laughs> it's a callback. It's you know. <laughs> just shoot it, mate. You know, <laughs> I'm sure somewhere you know, Golden and Globus are like, you're wasting dollars. Shoot, film now. <laughs> but uh, dailies now <laughs> must see action scene. But yeah, so the. Third act is really highlighted by the fact that we get the local rebels of Sulphur Springs to band together for the cause of good. When at any time they could have decided to, because the way they wade through the ninja army and the police force, it's like they could have decided at any time to go take the place over. All it took was the Peace Corps volunteer to come in and rally the troops. Oh, yeah. And, and clearly everyone who's in Sulphur Springs has a... Uh apparently everyone there already has a grudge against Mulgrew, so yeah. it's not like they needed Joe to rally them around or uh, Pondo short round to <laughs> to do the exposition. Yeah. Uh, but I did like, in the on the way to Sulphur Springs, uh, the car uh, immediately got attacked by ninjas. <laughs> and how, I like how in this American Ninja universe, because in my mind it's, it's its own self-contained uh, dimension, uh, ninjas just kind of leap out of nowhere. They respawn indefinitely, and everybody in the third world kind of drives a cool, like beater, Mad Max, uh, <laughs> hot rod kind of car. Mm. Even even the people in Sulphur Springs who are basically living on the set of Beyond Thunderdome. Yes, and but they they are they are all outfitted as if they were extras from a Mad Max film was what I wrote in my notes. I was like, well, it's, I mean, all I needed was the guy, the bad guy from commando that was also the bad guy from one of the Mad Max films to wear oh, that, uh, the road warrior mask. Road, I needed Lord humongous. Yeah. Yes. I needed that guy to, to roll out and go today. We fight mates. You know, and, <laughs> and then, you know, they rolled through the compound. Because I love how Joe is at least smart enough after all these adventures to realize, well, you know, I am pretty well can kill everybody myself, but it would be easier if I had another group of people doing half of it for me. Because so, I know once I unleash Sean, well, I, all I got to do is just kill the main ninja. You oh, know? right, clearly. <laughs> and, and But, of course, before he, he has to win over the trust of everybody at Megaton, <laughs> so he's going to, like from Fallout 3... That, that's yeah. the other thing the town made me think of because of all the platforms and railings that yes. kind of go nowhere and uh, boxcars. Yes. But he also has to have a pointless fight with a guy with a shotgun and uh, Dr. Tomba has to interrupt it. He's the, um, the, anti- the anti-entity of this barter town. Yes, of course. And that it, again, another character. It's like now we've we've gone into another place where there's too many people entered into the scene, too many stakes involved. I I don't know. I I had trouble keeping up with who was where at this point. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> right. And then, as if that wasn't enough, they uh, the terrorists are also going to to uh, bomb New York City the next day. <laughs> yeah, because it's just easy to just walk in and do that. Like even in the nineties. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. The, there's no such thing as airport security in the nineties. I mean, you just you know, guns, knives, suitcase nukes. <laughs> Whatever you got. Yeah, you know. no, no problem at all. We just walk right through. So, yeah. Um, but but that's the ticking clock, right? Like, that's what we're supposed to believe. Right. Yeah, which I, I'm like, no, no, I'm not really buying it. So. I thought the ticking clock was supposed to be rescuing the Delta Force guys, but even that... That's even that's not really an effective, uh, you know. Yeah, like they want five million dollars, or else the Delta Force guys are going to get it. But they decide we're going to kill this random nurse first because why? I guess because we need to kill the woman and put her in danger because that's the trope now that we're going to play off of. Yeah, we need somebody to put it in that refrigerator we saw at Barter Town. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know. I it, the the last act gets a little muddled because we've got. So many fights going on on so many levels that the only way I'm able to tell anything apart is the fact that everybody dresses in convenient color code. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. I love Joe's. Um, what would you call that? Like he looked kind of like I don't know Shredder versus uh, Bumblebee or something with that yellow and black thing he had going on. Oh yeah, that was his. Uh, that was his Bruce Lee uh, outfit. Yeah, very his, uh, strange. That yeah. was his. Uh, his the bride. Uh, outfit. That's what it is. There you go. So I, I don't know. I just really thought uh, it, it was just, I don't know, again, random and, and kind of strange that... Uh, well, I, I guess it fits in with the, uh, ninja, co- the ninja color code system. Yeah. Because you had, like, the green ninjas this time, and or the actually had that guy who was like a leather ninja, mm-hmm. but it kind of looked green, and you had all the usual primary colors of ninja, including the uh, bumblebee yellow that was his uh, disguise, I guess, to sneak down to the ninja killing floor. I don't know. <laughs> so, something like that. I don't know. It was very it was very strange, but it was easy at least to keep up with him, right? So now the thing is is that our three male leads all get a major kill in the climax. And that's what I wanted to talk about. The fact that Carl lives, that's one thing, right? But Carl lives, fires a missile, and destroys McSood in the helicopter. In the toy helicopter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, very um, convenient. And, and um, let's see, Sean gets to fight uh, the British guy, um, mm-hmm. whose name I've already forgotten. Uh, it sounded That's to me Mulgrew. like... That's he, he fights Yeah, Mulgrew. Yeah. yeah. It sounded to me like Mulgrew's first name was Scarf. That doesn't <laughs> make sense. But they repeat it several times, and I, and I can never actually understand what they're saying. But it always sounds like Scarf Mulgrew, Scarf. which is the weirdest name. I, I please tell me that that's not just something I made up because that it sounded like it to me. But it sounds like a good fake noir detective name, you know, like like the, he would be the the sidekick of the lead detective, Sam Blue or something like that. You know, <laughs> so, Scarf Mulgrew. I knew him back in Hell's Kitchen, you know, or something like that. He would be that guy. He's, he's clearly a member of, like, Daredevil's uh, coterie of sidekicks. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> he's, part of, he's part of that whole clan. But Carl kills McSood. Mulgrew gets killed by Sean. How does Sean even kill him? He sneaks up behind him and breaks his neck? Is that what it was? Um, I 
think so, yeah. Oh, um, no, they're fighting, and the British, uh, and uh, Mulgrew has, like, an axe, mm-hmm. and he keeps smashing statues right? pointlessly. Yes. And I think they just kind of... He gets the axe, and gets it. You're right, he kills him with the axe. And I was like, that's not very ninja. So <laughs> well, it was a it was a ninja axe. I mean, I, I guess I guess that's true. So um, that that he kills him with this, this sort of ninja axe, and of course the ninja master and Joe have to face off. And we've seen Joe do two of these before, right? Two of the the ultimate big boss face offs. But I have to say, this one is it's not very satisfying. Like it's it's kind of a weak fight. Yeah, and. It, it doesn't end in a very ninja fashion. I mean, it starts oh. out with, like, the the WWE test of strength where they're, like, holding hands. And then it just kind of abruptly ends when Joe, like, drops a grenade on the eyepatch ninja and blows him up. Yes, which because, was just because, out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, and apparently eyepatch was uh, made of napalm, like <laughs> yes. pure napalm. So he just blew up, like, a box full of dynamite. <laughs> Yes, because they've they've also disarmed the nuke. We should throw that out there, just just in case you were worried that New York City was going to get blown up in 1991. You're yeah. safe. It's cool. Yeah, so we we got it. It's okay. So there's no there's no problem. We're gonna we're gonna save the uh, uh, we're gonna save the the city from complete and total terror. <laughs> you know, it's not, not going to be a problem at all. Yeah, at least until they turned Manhattan into a prison island in 1999. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is to come somewhere down the line. But all we see is Joe shake hands with the rebel leader. He hands his Bruce Lee suit to not short round, looks at Sean, nods, and walks off over the dead bodies of the ninjas beneath his feet, presumably to go back to the Peace Corps. Yeah, because that was, that was a really funny scene just because... The uh, the handshake is so horribly awkward. Yeah, it was very weird. Like I did not understand the the purpose of the handshake. I really didn't. I'll just tell you. I thought that was a weird, weird way of I don't know doing this. The whole ending was really just strange. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting starting with the odd handshake, the fact that Joe never actually says anything to anyone. Mm-hmm. He's just completely silent the entire time, like he couldn't be bothered to say "good fight" or "thanks for the help" or you know "get bent." He just yeah, no, he's, he never talks to anyone. So, and I love how they, the, Sarah has that one line to uh, um, Sean, like, "Who was that guy that untied you?" Oh, that's just a friend of mine. He's not much with words, but you know, he's good with his hands or whatever crazy thing he says. <laughs> But, but clearly he's not good with his hands because he gives the worst handshake ever in the history of handshakes. Yes, he gives the dead <laughs> fish to the poor guy. That's the sad part of it. Yeah, it was uh, it was very strange. It was it was almost like they said, "Well, guys, we're done. We don't have any more money, so just end this." <laughs> okay, <laughs> so we're done. <laughs> yep, here's our here's your heroic walking off into the sunset moment as you gingerly step over these extras that are splayed out in the field. <laughs> Exactly, and then and it's over. That's it. Boom. We got and we didn't even get a cool theme song. I, that's what I was looking for. I was like, "Where's the theme song, man? Come on!" And I, we didn't get one this time. We didn't get, you know, it's annihilation or anything. Like I, I wanted something there, but that it, couldn't do it. 
the uh, the cheesy power metal. You needed yeah. a power ballad. I, you know, it would have fit the times, right? Like, I know it's the 90s. It was right before Nirvana ruined all of it for everybody. So, you know, that, that music was still popular. People would have gone for that at that point. Robert Tepper surely was not busy doing another Rocky movie. So I don't <laughs> know why we couldn't have got him. But, alas, we did not. So. Get like a Warrant or a Rat or a Cinderella. Although even those bands are a little high. You're probably going for Trickster at that what about scorpions they might work they might have done it they actually might have done it. or like you know mr mister could have oh, yeah. could have done you a tune but kicks. uh yeah there you go Kick, kicks that would have been the band if we could have got kicks and they could have thrown girl money in the uh, um bar fight scene earlier that would have been perfect <laughs> yeah <You know? laughs> but uh i guess i guess you know it, it'll be you know for us to always wonder what would have been but I, I am really curious about this now i've been able to pretty well guess how i thought you were going to go with these last ones but i'm i'm really serious i want to know what's your final recommendations and popcorn rating for American Ninja 4 The Annihilation? I would give it a, a medium popcorn, but with extra butter. I found it very entertaining. Uh, not enough to give it a large popcorn, but it was definitely like fun to watch. I had a lot of fun with this one, uh, much more uh, so than I did with the third film. Um, it, it, it just completely makes no sense in a good way. Uh, there's no consistent motivation or any real explanation as to why these two guys are fighting together, but it doesn't really matter because you've got like w- way more ninjas and terrorists and subplots to fight your way through. So it, it, it kind of really it kind of worked for me, uh, especially after watching it back to back with three. This is like you know watching Enter the Ninja or something <laughs> compared to three. Well, I will say this. I agree with you that this is a much more fun time than really anything we, we got last time. And I would even say than the second one. The second one to me is is a high point in the series, though, because I thought it was the best put together story. It was the best use of the if you're going to have American Ninja and you just want to drop them in places after you've done the origin. It's the most interesting. But this at least was a sequel where it wasn't somebody trying to create a super soldier. Or something like that. <laughs> and so I was glad to get away from that trope. And even though they, they try to work in some sort of ugly real world you know stuff that doesn't need to, to be a part of this series, this is a lot of fun. And, and the action in it is a blast. So I'm going to go medium popcorn as well. I don't know that I'll throw extra butter on it, but it's definitely that good fun matinee kind of thing. And if you're into watching these kind of films and stuff, this is you could do a lot worse. This one is a lot of fun. Along the way. So I, I'll join you in the medium popcorn for it. But as a series as a whole... Well, go ahead. Can't I can't get you to add any like uh, raisinets or whoppers or anything to the I, popcorn? I would say maybe it's like the medium special popcorn for the day. Like you get some caramel popcorn. You know, If you want to do something a little different at the, at the thing. So uh, the, the kettle corn. Huh? Yeah, right, yeah. We'll, we'll go kettle corn with it. But, <laughs> but definitely medium. So as a series, though, Rod... Kind of rank them for me, your ideas of you know, how these films have, have played out and how you would say, if you're going to launch into this series, what you should you know, go and do. I would say if you're going to launch into the series, you can skip three altogether. Uh, there's no real point to it. Just watch one, two, and four. Or if you really just don't need the origin story and you really don't because there's no point to it maybe just go with 
two and four as like your weird high points. Uh, I mean, one one is interesting in, in, the ter- in terms of that it's fairly competent and pretty well made, but it's not, you know, you don't really need to know why Joe has his ninja magic. <laughs> you, you just, you know, you just got to know that there's ninjas. Yeah. So I would agree with that. I, I, to me, the second one is the best one, followed closely by this one. And then I think the first one is good just because you, you might I, you may not need to know how he got his ninja magic, but at least I think you see probably the best use of Curtis in the, in the oh, whole yeah. series. I, I don't know that he was any, that good. The, the thing that makes too funny is the, the Marine commander. Like, that guy's hilarious. So I don't, I don't know what, what planet he was on, but it, it's, it's fun to listen to his lines. That's why we use so many of his lines in the opening credits. He's, he's, just, he's hilarious. But to me, I, I really think um, the – the thing was at its best in two. It really tanked in three, but it made money, so we got the fourth one, and I think people had just moved on from it at that point, and that's why it's gone. But I, I'll say this. I would not be surprised if one day someone didn't go back and, you know, I don't know, uh, revisit the American Ninja series somewhere down the line. I, I think it's definitely something you could redo uh, especially in this kind of remake happy world. I mean, Sasha Mitchell's going back for another kickboxer movie. <laughs> Surely you could get uh, Michael Dudikoff and David Bradley uh, back for like an American Ninjas reboot. Maybe give them, I don't know, uh, some kids. Yeah, well, it'd be like the next American Ninja, and you have these two guys as the mentor sensei or something. Yeah, that's that's that actually would work. Or, you know, maybe make David Bradley evil. I don't know what he's been up to. Yeah, <laughs> He yeah. could go bad. Yeah, exactly. Maybe that poison finally took uh, <laughs> took uh, effect all these years later. <laughs> 30 years after the fact. That the it's poison. Like, it's like, well, you know, it, it wasn't tested real well, so they, they, had to, they had to get around and figure it out eventually. <laughs> but we'll have to see if that ever happens indeed. So, But, Ron, thanks so much for joining me on this year's inaugural series with Filmstrip. It has been a pleasure and an honor, sir. <laughs> well, we'll definitely have to have you back on again for some other stuff uh, outside of the Canon Film Group uh, lexicon of films. So, uh, we'll, uh, in, in other words, we'll actually get you on something good. <laughs> oh, so, so, so we're going to go to trauma movies? Cause... <laughs> well, you know, let, let's let's take our let's take our baby steps. You know, <laughs> so maybe we do a Corman film next. I don't know. But, uh, but like Scorpion, it is. <laughs> Indeed. So, but it's great to have you on. Tell folks how they can catch up with your writing out there on the internet. Uh, you can find me at uh, denofgeek.com. That's the British version, not the American version. And you can find me writing about weird stuff in the news daily at popfi.com. But excellent. And folks, as always, you can find me and all the other crew from Continuous Play on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, and click one of the many links to our podcast ventures. There are The Art of Slaying, Squared Circle Flashbacks, The Fabish Factor Film Podcast, and, of course, Filmstrip for many more episodes. Uh, let us know what you think of the show. Leave us a review on iTunes and hook up with us on Facebook and Twitter. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Ron, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for joining us. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. It is therefore ask you to accompany me to the police station.
Kwanzaa, several serious questions.